wonderful expression. How great is our God. And we acknowledge that fact this morning. The Lord's character, his nature, his covenant, his interaction with humanity for all of history. But most of all, for the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can stand this morning acknowledging how great you are because you have redeemed us. You have forgiven us. You have given us a way to be forgiven before the creator of the universe. And we thank you that you did that in a way that we could never have imagined, a way that we could never have accomplished on our own. And we thank you for that this morning. And we pray now as we acknowledge the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians, this amazing passage. We will continue to say how great is our God in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Wonderful. Wasn't that worship? Wasn't that wonderful? Wasn't that wonderful? Were you glad that you got up out of bed for that? Wow. I, I should just sit down. Right. Yeah. Amen. Um, you know, we, last week, if you're here last week, we said the most. Um, the way that we as believers, I'm talking about believers here, the way that we respond to adversity becomes the most potent tool for us to reach other people. And, and um, if, if, if one of the simpler ways of saying that is that often we are, you know, we're told how to act as Christians. But the reality is our faith becomes very powerful in the way that we react to the, to the circumstances of life. And often the way that we react to the circumstances of life hold for us a really powerful way of demonstrating our faith, uh, the veracity of our faith, how, how, much, how much that belief in what Jesus has done for us speaks to the world and to the people around us. And it's very very important. Now, this week, we're going to dig a little deeper. This passage that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to read through it. We're going to work through it is is to me the most important passage in the book of Philippians. It is also one of the most powerful um, theological passages in the whole Bible. OK, and what's very interesting about this passage, and I've always been intrigued by this uh, very point, is that. Paul intends this passage to be an illustration, even though it's so theologically deep. He meant it originally as an illustration, which which is really neat in 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 in, in my eyes and in, in, in reading it. But the illustration is one of those illustrations that's going to speak to us in our lives, because if you've ever asked yourself, what is the most important contribution that I can make to the world around me? The passage today is going to answer that question. If you if you in any way, shape or form affirm our mission statement and say we want to love God, love others, but change the world. If that change the world looms really large for you and said, you know, that's just too big a thing for me to handle. 
This will be the first step towards that. Because if you can't wrestle with this, if you can't adopt this, if you can't understand this foundational principle that we're going to talk about this morning, you will always struggle in your faith. You will not be able to make an impact to those around you. You will not be able to grow deeper in your own faith. And you will not be able to impact the world around you as God intends for you to do. So this is a very, very, very important passage this morning. So let's uh, let's uh, dig a little deeper. And and, and we're going to just dive into this passage. We're looking at the first 11 verses of Philippians 2. Okay? And here's the Apostle Paul, and he begins with this wonderful statement. He says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus asked. Now, if you've ever asked yourself the question, and as a church we ask this question all the time, how do I grow spiritually? What are the markers in my life that would identify that I'm actually making progress in my spiritual life? Well, you know, for most of us, and we've said this a number of times, most of us, the gauge becomes, you know, the amount of time we pray, the amount of time that we read scripture, the amount of, 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 of doctrine maybe that we understand. There's just all these kind of uh, things that we post up here as as being markers of our spiritual depth and growth. And I don't want to discount those. I've got, I got to always make that statement. Those are very, very important things in your life. You need to incorporate those things in your life. But if you do those things, and yet you can't say that this passage is where I am finding myself, that I am becoming more compassionate, that I am becoming a person who doesn't look after my own self-interest exclusively. Those are the markers that God sees as moving towards spiritual vitality, spiritual depth. Because the Bible is never meant to be something that we just read objectively without it having an impact in our lives. Because it's always meant to be this mirror of myself. Okay, so this is a great passage. If you ever want to just say, you know, every six months, I'm going to I'm going to read this passage and I'm going to ask myself, how do I measure up against it? And all the spiritual disciplines that I'm exercising, how do I measure up against this particular passage? And that's the first point I want to make, because this passage in very in, in very simple terms talks about a person of humility. Okay? And I and I wanna I wanna I wanna take humility from how it's based in this passage. Okay? And 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 the very first point I want to make that humility is at the core of our spiritual growth. And I and, and I and I and I I want to repeat this again. If you don't have humility before God, your spiritual growth, your spiritual exercises will end up becoming a dead end road. 
But humility is so vitally important in the life of the individual believer. It's not something that we can neglect. And, and, and it's having this opinion, you know, humility is having this opinion of yourself. A deep, a deep sense of your own smallness, if I can say it that way. And, it, 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 you know, and again, it's not this sense of position of weakness. It's understanding your strengths and your weaknesses. You know, I like, I like, you, 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 ever, you ever hear the sport analogy of when somebody's in the zone? You ever, you ever heard that? When, when, when an athlete is just there, like everything's working for them. You know, they're in, they're in the right position. They're on the right team. They're, you know, they're, 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 they, they just seem to understand, you know, their own strengths and how they contribute to that team and, and all of that. Humility in many ways is, is, is this, um, is, is this zone for a believer. That you're in the zone. It just, it, you know, you understand your strengths and weaknesses. You understand where you are in the kingdom. You understand what's good for you to do. You understand where the best places for you to serve. You understand um, what you shouldn't be doing. You understand where your strengths are and how you contribute to that. It's, it's, just, it, it, it's just a place that you are. And people acknowledge that. And the thing about humility is other people recognize it in you. I'm really surprised at children how quickly they can spot a fake you ever notice that? Or, or the family dog. <laughs> He's good to everybody else, but I don't know him for you. It's like, yeah, get him off me. But, but there's this, this sense. And, he, and, and, and as adults, we know when people are self-serving, even though they may be talking the talk of humility. And here's, here's why this is so important. Here's the second thing. Individual humility promotes and strengthens corporate unity. Which is what is proclaimed in this passage in so many ways. Without individual humility, corporate unity is threatened. It's not strengthened at all. And this is part of the biblical picture of of humility. That part of, of being personally humble allows you to strengthen and to promote the good of everybody around you. Even in, this, even in this group, one person who lacks humility in the wrong position can destroy this church. We know that. We've seen it. We understand that. Right? That's why we have so much antagonism towards people in leadership, government officials, um, you know, leaders of industry. We have so much antagonism against them because they don't demonstrate a life of humility. And isn't it interesting how much we will tolerate someone who makes a mistake but is humble? So individual humility in the life of the church is really, really, really important. It promotes corporate Unity. So this is a passage that Paul intends to sort of strike home at the at the life of the, the, the small church in Philippi and, and gives it as a grounding and saying these are the things that you pursue as a church. OK. And they're very, very important. Now, I don't want you to miss the last sentence of that verse. You 
must have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. That, that is the bridge statement to what is going to come. Now listen, if you were reading this for the first time and you read it and you said, you've got to have the same attitude of Jesus Christ, my expectation would have been, remember what he was like with the poor. Remember what he was like when he healed those people. Remember what he was like when he taught the word of God and he stood in front of the crowds and they were amazed by what he said because he had power and authority. That's what I would have expected. I would have expected expected a hundred different ways that Paul would have gone. But the way that Paul goes is absolutely surprising, absolutely striking. And, And if you don't catch it with its full force... Because this passage that we're going to look at is the most theologically deep and important passage as it pertains to the divinity of Jesus Christ. Okay? So here we go. Let's read it. Though he was God. Can can we say that out loud together? Though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or to grasp to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died the criminal's death on a cross. Okay, let's stop right there. All right. This passage alone refutes anyone, anything, any philosophy, any faith that says that Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus was just to the Apostle Paul, to this passage. Jesus is not a prophet. He's not the starter of a religion. Anything that that would discount the fact that Jesus is the incarnate son of God. You know, God incarnate. That, that's what this passage brings. Anything that attempts to downgrade Jesus from his position as part of the Trinity is, is, is wrong. It's, it, it, you know, there's nothing scripture that would promote the downgrading of Jesus to a philosopher, to a religious leader, to a prophet or anything like that. This passage smacks against any of that stuff. This, this, this presents Jesus in full God form. All right? It's a powerful passage. And, and, and it's, 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 it's very artistic in the Greek, the way that it's presented too. Because those, those words that we just saw in the passage before about how we are to live are linked to the passage about Jesus and his own humility. Okay? So it's a a beautiful um, passage that builds from one to the next. But I'm amazed at the fact that this passage is introduced by the statement, you must have the same attitude as Jesus. Okay? Like, I don't know about you, but that's humility to the nth degree, right? I want to take you through a little, a little progression as well. We're going to really watch the progression of this passage because it's even more stark than that. Here is Jesus, born, um, 
the example of humility that is given here in this, in this passage. The very first point, though he was God, he gave up his divine privileges. Okay? Wrestle with me with that. Though he was God, he gave, up, he gave away the divine privileges of, of being God to come to earth. Now, I don't know about you, but here is God saying, okay, I'm, I can set that aside. And again, that's, you know, that's, that's for theologians far better than me to wrestle through and understand. But for centuries, we have been trying to wrap our minds around what it meant for Jesus to say, okay, I am God, but I'm going to set the divine privileges that I have as God aside because I have to do something that's going to be very important. All right. Don't ask me to explain it. Don't ask me to put it into terms of quantum physics or or any of that kind of stuff, because I won't be able to. But this is an incredible statement. And let me let me say one other thing. It's not normal. It's not how we would normally think of God to set aside that privilege as God to do something for us. God is all powerful. God is all knowing. God is all seeing. God can make it happen. Surely there had to be another way that God could have figured this out and done something about it, which 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 also lends itself to the idea that the very thing that Jesus did was the best way possible to achieve what Jesus did, which is a really important point. But imagine if I was God and was given this scenario, ask yourself that question. This isn't what we normally expect from God. Here's the second thing. Born as a human, he took the humble position of a slave. Now, slave and servant in, in the Greek text is exactly the same. Same word being used, okay? Slave, servant. That's, that's the imagery that's intentionally being brought out here. Now, again, this isn't normal. Why couldn't Jesus have come as a prince, a king, a, a, a person of standing? Why couldn't Jesus have come, you know, in, 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 in a form that would have been recognized as, as regal, as majestic, as something that would have acknowledged who he was right from the very start? Instead, revelation has to come specially through, through shepherds and people distant from the nation of Israel. I don't know about you. I would have, I would have at least thought that, that, that Jesus would have come in a form that would have been conducive to God coming to the earth. I would have at least asked for that. I would have at least asked for something that was just a little bit more fanfare and majestic. But he came as a servant. And he said on a number of occasions, I come. To seek and to save what is lost. To serve. Alright? Here's the third thing. Obedient to God, he died a criminal's death. Now again, I don't know about you. I know that's just not normal. Because what you would have expected is, 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 is a death 
that would have been glorious. That would have been maybe more fitting, but a criminal's death on a cross that would have denoted to the people around that there was something wrong with Jesus. And only those that had eyes to see, ears to hear, acknowledge what the cross really represented. Like, I'm struck by that progression. The humility of Jesus to allow that in his life. As God, though he was God. The humility of setting the the majesty and the glory of his godhood aside to come as a human being, but to come not just as an average person even, but as a slave, as a servant, and then to die on a cross that was the worst possible way to die at that time. I could think of a hundred different ways could have died that were probably more glorious in that moment. And yet, Paul says about all of that is that that is the same type of attitude we need to have. Well, that, that example is hard. There isn't a harder example of humility in all the Bible, period. You know, I wish Paul would have gone to the poor or would have gone to have a different illustration, a different example. But that tells you about the love of God, the compassion, the desire that God had to see us be, be reinstated into a relationship. And something that we couldn't accomplish on our own. I don't know about you, but if that doesn't excite you, and if that doesn't make you stand in awe of God, if that doesn't make you just say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done on my behalf and the humility that you went through in order that you could accomplish something for me that I have not done for myself, then your heart's something's wrong. Something's wrong. And that's the same image that is that we are called to when it comes to humility. <clears throat> Remember, if you don't have that kind of humility, your spiritual life won't advance. If you don't have that kind of humility, you're not going to help the corporate unity and strength of a body of believers. That's a difficult place to be. Because it's not... Normal. This is not, right? This is not normal of what we expect. I have my rights. You know, I have myself to be concerned about. No one else is going to get, take care of me. You know, we have all the talk. All the talk. And yet Jesus does something absolutely incredible. Incredible. Isn't it amazing that in, in the upper room, when Jesus is with the disciples, I love that passage in the Gospel of John where he washes the disciples' feet. It's amazing to me. It's a beautiful passage. It doesn't make sense. It's another not normal. In fact, Peter goes, wait a minute, Jesus, this isn't normal. I should be washing your feet. And, and, and at the very beginning of that passage, John reminds us that Jesus is the most powerful person in the universe. 
It's a little comment that he makes that 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 Jesus, all authority, all power was given to Jesus. It's a pat. That's the little little you know phrase that's inserted at the beginning of that passage. And John is reminding us about a passage like this, that though he was God. And here's Jesus taking these band of men and washing their feet because he took the form of a servant. Beautiful. Beautiful. Look how it ends. Therefore. You can't ignore the therefore. You can't ignore the therefore. That's, that would be an exegetical mistake. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. How many times have you heard that? Isn't that just that wonderful passage that we love to talk about? The name above all names. Right? The humility of Jesus in obedience to the Father glorifies the Father, but it exalts Jesus to the place above every other person imaginable. That the path to greatness is the path of humility and the path of servanthood. That the path to changing the world is the path of servanthood and the path of humility. The path of making a difference in the life of people around you is the path of humility and the path of servanthood. That the path of doing something that will acknowledge the, the supremacy of Jesus to the world around us is the path of humility and the path of servanthood. That's the power that resides in that very simple, basic principle. And if we can't wrap our minds around that, then we're always going to struggle. And for many of us, you're feeling the tension right now about what that means, right? Because it's not normal. We live in a culture and a world that talks about our self-interest first, foremost. And yet everything in this passage says anything but... And again, the danger, the danger is that you become a doormat. That's not what humility is. It's not weakness. Okay? Please don't hear that you have to put yourself into a situation that's abusive or anything like that. Don't ever hear me say that. But it does cause us to question, doesn't it, the vast majority of what we do in our lives. Because if you were really honest with yourself... You tend more to the self-seeking than to the side of humility. Right? But this is a beautiful passage that here Jesus, that one day will be revealed in all his glory for what he has done. There's, there's um, a couple of quotes that I want to put up here. One is from St. Athanasius, a patriarch of Alexandria, early church father, Jesus became what we are, that he might make us what he is. Isn't that beautiful? You know, I've said this time and time again, the greatest um, 
demonstration of God's will for your life is for you to become conformed to the image of Jesus. That no matter what you want to talk in terms of God's will, God's will for every single person on this planet is to become like Jesus. Okay? Here's the second quote. The kingdom of God advances by people lovingly placing themselves under others, in service to others, at cost to themselves. From Gregory Boyd's The Myth of a Christian Nation. Now, I read something in, in, in one of my commentaries, and it really struck me. And I, and I just want to say it, because this is a real challenge. Like, it, it hit me really hard when I read it. But the commentator wrote, anything, any person who believes in Jesus, who, where anything that falls short of Philippians 2 in your life is a compromised lifestyle. Wow. I read that and I went, I, I don't like that. You know? Anything that falls short, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, anything that falls short to Philippians 2 is in some way a compromised lifestyle. Wow. Okay? And in fact, this one commentator starts using a term in his book that I just loved. He said, to be a Christian means to be cruciformed person. A cruciformed person. That our, that our whole lives are formed... By the person of Jesus Christ, as a servant, as a slave, as a person who willingly came, set aside his glory, set aside his godhood, became a servant, died a criminal's death, and made a change to the world that we couldn't have done on our own. This is, a, this is an amazing, amazing passage. But listen, for each and every one of you, you're talking, you're thinking in your own heart and your own mind, this whole idea of humble service is not normal. And yet everything in the Bible, everything in this passage says that that is the way to make a change in the world. That is the way to bring bring the power of God into our lives. That is the way that to demonstrate the glory of what Jesus demonstrated. Right? And you're saying, you know what, you don't know my work environment. You don't know what they would do to me if I was humble and a servant. You don't know my school environment. <laughs> if, uh, you know, being humble and a servant, you don't know what that's going to do. You don't know my family. If I was humble and a servant, I'd get walked all over. This, this, this doesn't help me. That's a real tension, isn't it? You don't know what my circumstances are with my significant other right now. But let me ask you. Think back to all those situations that were difficult in your life, relationally. Would it be fair to say that somewhere, someone didn't practice humility or servanthood? How different would it have been in that situation had someone practiced a little bit of humility? If someone practiced a little bit of being a servant? 
How dramatically different would your life be? Corey Ten Boom said, the measure of a life is not its duration, but its donation. It's not its duration, but its donation. Let me ask you, what is the greatest donation you can make in your life? And based on this passage, it's a life of humility with servanthood. And you know what? The more, the more you practice humility, the easier it would be for you to be a servant. Because humility precludes that. Humility initiates that. Without humility, service is not done in joy. It's not done with the right intent. It's not done as God intended. Humility leads us to a life of service that honors God. And allows your life to become something greater than you could ever imagine possible. Because it allows God to work in and through you because of that. That's a great challenge, isn't it? It's a great challenge. You know, I almost, I almost got to this passage and said, I don't want to do this one. Right? It's, a, it's tough. It's hard. And it's going to really challenge people and challenge me. Where we are. But that is the greatest contribution you can make to the world around you. Is a life of humility that leads to service for his honor and for his glory. Let's pray.